Welcome to the Marvelous Post Flip Podcast, a podcast on all things Marvel on the Fangirl Zone. I am Sean Fangirlass. I'm Steve. And I'm Mischievous Dave. And today we're talking about episode eight of season one of What If, titled What If Ultron One. What could go wow. wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so initial reactions, Steve. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known when we see Ultron come out at the end of the last episode that this was going to happen and it was not going to end well for anybody. True. <laughs> Tasha's the only one that's alive. I don't know how <laughs> the Watcher's going to save this, but I'm sure curious to find out. And who would have thought that we'll have a basically a three-part season finale for this show? <laughs> Yeah, I, I was surprised that too. Dave, how did you feel? What are you rating? Even I thought it was not rating. Yeah, I know we're not ready, but if we were, I'd give it four out of five. Raiders of the Lost Ark crate. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was great. I had a great action episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, a little disappointing to see all the bad guys gaining so much ground, but that was well done. I should have checked to see who their director was. Darn it. We watch several shows that we podcast on. Obviously, you guys know this. And this was the second episode of the week that I was like, holy crap, can I get something that's light? Because this is like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking at the end, well, not even at the end, but I think midway through, it's like, yeah, like Steve said, Natasha, is she all alone now? What the hell? Right. I was just like, I can't contemplate it. Although I can't remember. I think Dave, I think it was you about the watcher getting closer and closer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think we, we skipped the closest and jumped you... right into the, well, a part of it now. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. Wow, I think is an understatement for it, but we'll get into it and just we can discuss our holy crap moments basically as we go. <laughs> well, our recap is Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton seek to destroy killer robot Ultron following a cataclysmic event. Hey, wait, before we jump all the way in, this is for sure a continuation from the last episode, right? So we're in that universe. If that we has, are, then we're going to have zombies too. <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh, no, no, that this, no. Last episode was Thor's party. So yeah, yeah. I okay. guess we could still pull. Um, or are they trying Thor to say like because what we've seen, he could go anywhere now. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, yeah. I, was, Ultron, I was thinking that's could. how they bring everything together and introduce it into the movie, which I'm against. I think what if should stay? What if not? It is right. <laughs> what <Whatever laughs> you want to call it? But uh, that could be what they're using because they're smashing through barriers. Hmm, interesting. Okay, proceed, please. Okay, so the episode opens, as we've said, with Hawkeye and Black Widow battling a fleet of Ultron drones, which are practically useless to, like, Empire stormtroopers, you know, so easy. Good Barton is, as usual, reclining on his trusty Bruno as he's also packing Harry Potter's invisibility <laughs> cloak. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, what if? I guess so. The device is... Most likely a miniaturized version of the cloaking tech we've already seen on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, like in 2012's The Avengers and Tony Stark's plane, like in Spider-Man Homecoming. Clint and Natasha would have access to this tech, and the and the basic principle seems to be more or less identical. As well as a new cloak, Hawkeye also comes with a stylish metal arm that even Bucky Barnes would be proud of. Yeah, we didn't get to see him lose his arm or gain a new one. Right. <laughs> so it, that makes me think, so that's not our Earth that just got destroyed? This is also a different one? I would well, think yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I kind possible. of gathered that from the beginning when he's like, of all, this isn't, I thought he said this isn't your universe. Through the Watcher? In the very beginning, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this yeah. one's the saddest yeah. one. It's like, wow. 
That's right. This episode doesn't explain how Clint Barton lost his limb in the first place, but the injury could be a nod toward the Avengers Age of Ultron. Or what's his name there? Yeah. What is the name of the character that lost his arm? Bucky. Yeah. Well, what's it? Oh, Winter Soldier. Yeah, right. That's Winter what I was Soldier. trying to think of. Yeah. In the 2015 film opening Hydra saw Hawkeye hit with a laser cannon, almost killing him. Had Hawkeye been standing a few millimeters to the side, the blast would have taken off his arm instead of gashing his stomach. What's worse? This could be another change between the main MCU timeline and this universe. Avengers Age of Ultron gave the broadest possible adaption of the Marvel comic it was based on, but this episode dares to animate the story more faithfully. Earth's apocalyptic landscape is much closer to how Ultron's attack ended in the source material, including the survival of both Hawkeye and Black Widow, but Ultron's total victory over mankind never came about in the live action. Good thing. I didn't know that's how it was in the comics. Right. Wow. As the Watcher recounts exactly how many things got so bad, the episode plays back Tony Stark's creation of Ultron. The montage begins as we see a brief glimpse of Loki's scepter being studied by the Avengers. The Mind Stone-powered weapon was seized along with Loki in the Avengers and later used to create both Vision and Ultron in the sequel. Tony Stark has many famous MCU quotes like genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, I am Iron Man. How do you go to the bathroom with that stuff? Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know, did you guys hear that uh, was that Blue Origins ship that went up to space a couple of weeks ago, the bathroom, the toilet failed? Oh, what? No. Yeah, oh it did. It relies on suction and it stopped working. <laughs> Somebody commented, you just have to learn how to get along. <laughs> <laughs> they were able to fix it, though. Ominously, making eyes toward Loki's staff, Tony Stark repeats his famous line from the Avengers Age of Ultron, I see a suit of armor around the world. Guy never learns. The Watchers recap then reels through a series of scenes from both the live-action MCU and movies and previous episodes. In order, there are Ultron's Awakening, which happens differently in the main MCU, Hawkeye's aiming an arrow at Thor, Hulk's University Rampage, the Avengers assembling in New York, Tony Stark's convoy being attacked in Afghanistan, the Nazi attack of World War II, and Thor channeling lightning through Molnir. The episode then switches to Ultron presiding over his army in Ulysses Klaus' shipyard base, and finally the birth of Vision, which almost identical direction and framing as the androids debut in the Avengers Age of Ultron. Tony Stark died and died multiple times during this uh, live-action MCU career, and What If has taken the trope to ridiculous levels by finding new and exciting ways to kill Iron Man <laughs> for almost every episode. Yeah, and I can like get off on that. Yeah. From poisoning to impalement, what if has not been kind to Robert Downey Jr.'s likeness, and episode 8 adds a new demise to his ever-increasing catalog. <laughs> Makes you wonder what we'll see at the very end. <laughs> this time, Stark is the victim of Ultron's apocalyptic nuclear blast. That'll, that'll be the incredible Hulk General Thunderbolt watching as Ultron destroys the world in this episode. I didn't, I forgot to check if they were using his voice or if they actually said anything, aside from him just going, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ross has appeared previously in Disney Plus and Anthology's Yellow Jacket and Killmonger episode, but he makes a more subtle cameo this week, just like gasping. Now yeah. what? Upon completing his goal and creating peace by wiping out humanity, Ultron surveys his work and having a sorrowful sense of satisfaction. <laughs> I broke my toy. <laughs> when the camera zooms out, we do see a android is actually standing upon the ruins of Avengers Dark Towers and a perfect metaphor for how Ultron overcame his creator. Yeah, this one was just watching that. It's like, yeah, definitely not a light episode. Got it. No. We get like one. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least they what gave if... us Thor's party in between some of these. <laughs> yeah. What if they gave us, I don't know, every three episodes, something a little lighter and not end of the 
ultra verse, multiverse, whatever. <laughs> My God. And the only thing that was missing was Yolanda crying in a confessional. Yeah. <laughs> then that totally would have broken me. <laughs> this was so crazy. So what if changes to Earth fate have no impact upon the wider education? Imagination. <laughs> 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 oh, a Thanos elsewhere in the MCU. And as Ultron celebrates his victory, the Mad Titan makes his way to our humble planet. Okay, I will say, I was like, oh, great, he's here. I'm like, wait a second. Because the next few moments, I was like, did that just happen? Yeah. <laughs> his scene deliberately mirrors Thanos' grand entrance in Avengers Infinity War including the crackling black portal and the camera framing as Marvel's Big Bad strolls into view. This time, however, Thanos lands in New York instead of Wakanda since the Mind Stone's location has changed. The severity of his arrival makes it all the more funny. And I'm laughing as I'm saying this because I still picture this in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Thanos wanted to cut the universe's population in half. And when he arrives to Earth to collect the Mind Stone in What If, Episode 8, Ultron bisects him straight down the middle. He didn't go for the head first. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who says androids don't have a sense of humor? <laughs> taking, custody, <laughs> taking custody of the remaining Infinity Stones, Ultron effortlessly builds his cybernetic army and wraps a suit of armor around himself. You guys ever watched and, Penny Dreadful? Yes. Oh, remember when there was a monster that he created to Dr. Frankenstein? He was kind of goofy and friendly. And in one episode, he gets like pulled in half by ripped in half by the original Frankenstein monster that's back, baby. And that's what this reminded like that was pretty gruesome. <laughs> and this guy gets I, it bisected. Yeah, I I was watching this going, Oh, that was quick for Thanos. Yeah. But he, the fact that all of a sudden Vision Ultron is like, hmm, what's this you were carrying around? It's like, dude, you should have done some homework before you came to this planet. <laughs> and then maybe you would have still been alive, but if Vision could have done that with just the Mind Stone, why the heck did we not get that? Right. Well, I mean, granted, we wouldn't have gotten everything we got after it, but what the heck? <laughs> you could have just zipped Thanos' ton. But in a neat MCU Easter egg, however, the ascending Ultron also gives himself a purple cape similar to Vision's. Why did he get a cape? I thought that whole thing was because of Thor. He thinks he's royalty. I can eat a purple cape. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. The subtle moment nods to Avengers Age of Ultron when Vision notices Thor's cape and decided it looked better on him. Yeah. And all I keep thinking is, Edna Mode, no capes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Using the combined power of the Infinity Stones, Ultron builds himself a space-faring battle station and how to carry his anti-flesh philosophy across the entire universe. Yeah, yeah. He, made, he made himself a Borg sphere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Death Star-ish, because there's laser cannons. I don't know. It was like, wow, this is crazy. And what is with all of this going basically across our different shows? Like, seriously, like you said, Borg Sphere. Have yeah. to show up in our show this week. Yeah. yeah. Death Star. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. Like you said, we just need, like, somebody crying hysterically, like, in front of a church. Maybe this would tie everything. <laughs> This I went outside to see if uh, any glass was shattering in my universe. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, this one was just crazy. This wasn't the first time What If has paid homage to the galaxy far, far away. In the T'Challa Star-Lord episode, T'Challa walks past the ship 
closely resembling an X-Wing. Well, you know, it is part of the Disney universe now, so who knows? But preparing to venture beyond Earth, Ultron promises peace in our time. What time? You're trying to knock everybody off. <laughs> there won't be an hour anymore. This line is a mocking echo of Tony Stark in Avengers Age of Ultron, who used the same phrase when envisioning his pet android as savior of the Earth. Yeah, stop, Tony. Just stop making crazy killer things. Bordering his way across the galaxy, Ultron encounters a host of familiar planets, even involving himself in the famous events of MCU history. We first see the destruction of Thor's home planet of Asgard before moving onto the Sovereign. The later coincides with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 opening sequence where Peter Quill's space outlaws were fighting the Abolus monster. Baby Groot was otherwise occupied, apparently. Interestingly, we see Gamora in action here, suggesting that Thanos earned the Soul Stone via other means. Didn't think about that at all. Right. That's interesting. Later in the same montage, Ultron destroys Ego, the living planet, which actually makes a sad face. <laughs> it's consumed in drones. I wasn't sad about Ego, though, but I no. was like, wow, that was quick. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok Korg is often remembered as a stone-faced revolutionary hilariously portrayed by, why do you give me the name? <laughs> Taika Watiti. But before Thor and Hulk landed on Sakaar and stole his limelight, Korg was actually one of the planet's gladiators. Thor and Hulk are obviously dead in What If, Episode 8. So when Ultron makes his way to Sakaar, we actually witness Korg as an area combatant. And wow, that's what I'm seeing with this. Because it's like, there was like no time to breathe. Even better, the Cronin appears to be carrying the same club laser hybrid that he uses in Thor Ragnarok's Battle of the Bifrost Bridge. The Grandmaster is also shown on Sakaar quietly contemplating his impending doom. How did they make these animated faces look so good yes. and so scared. That's what I want to know. As Ultron lays waste to Xandar, Captain Marvel charges the android upon entering orbit, bringing him crashing to the ground. It's very similar to the final battle of Avengers Endgame when Carol Danvers used that very move to bring down Thanos' giant spacecraft. As Captain Marvel knocks some sense into Ultron, momentarily at least, Xandar's Nova Corps HQ building can be glimpsed in the background, and the Golden Star logo immediately is identifiable. I will have to say that I thought it was interesting that we got her because I was not expecting her. Right. So while pooping on Thor's party last week, Captain Marvel referenced 1980s hair metal band Whitesnake giving away her age somewhat. What if episode 8 continues with the joke with Danvers nicknaming Ultron Skynet mm-hmm. as a nod to the Terminator franchise? In a double dose of Easter egg goodness, Carol also says, sorry, 84 is the Terminator, really doesn't need a sequel. And irony. <laughs> because, of course, Terminator 2 Judgment Day released in 91. Well, Danvers was off-world, and it's widely regarded as one of the best sequels ever made. And, of course, there were several that came after that anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. In Endgame, Captain Marvel joined her fellow Avengers in a battle against Thanos, and after the Mad Titan reclaimed his Infinity Gauntlet, she struggled desperately to rip it from his hand. Paying tribute to this scene in What If, Ultron fights against Captain Marvel, straining to tear the Mind Stone from the villain's forehead. And I was like, come on, Carol, you can do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back on a devastated Earth, Hawkeye and Black Widow infiltrate Russia's intelligent warehouse 
It wasn't difficult. There's nobody there, and it's <laughs> and tattered. Yeah, they literally walked in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to find a secret weapon against Ultron that the Black Widow has determined is an analog program. As the endless rows of lights gradually illuminate, the Archer jokes about the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I said the same thing right before him. Yeah. <laughs> the comparison comes from the very end of Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones debut, where the Ark of the Covenant is boxed up and stored away in a warehouse very similar to the Kremlin's facility. Among Russia's collection of trinkets is a red and silver version of Captain America's shield, which was almost certainly the weapon of Red Guardian, the Soviet super soldier played by David Harbour and Black Widow before he was jailed. It's You're not going to get me to say that five times, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's especially touching how Black Widow adopts ownership of the shield, given how Red Guardian was her father figure while undercover in the 1990s Ohio. I thought that was really cool. Yes. Though the shield comes from her adopted dad, Black Widow's moves come from Captain America, bouncing the weapon off walls and enemies like we've seen Steve Rogers do countless times in the MCU. Yeah, I guess it isn't that hard after all. No. Huh? <laughs> Everyone that grabs the shield can use it like an ace. <laughs> Confirming Maybe the... she taught people. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Confirming <laughs> the similarity between Ultron's ship and the Empire's Death Star to be intentional... Hawkeye collapses exhausted and despondent after failing to find anything of use in the Russian archives. In a neat Marvel Easter egg, he complains, the Death Star plans aren't in the main computer. <laughs> <laughs> this line was spoken by a stormtrooper to Death Vader during a New Hope's opening sequence since the plans in question had already been smuggled away by Princess Leia and R2-D2. See that? There is hope. Yeah, always. Now, I love the scene where <laughs> he's giving up and the Watcher is right there going, yeah, it's right it. there, it's right there, open, get, grab I the was box. cracking up with the Watcher. Yeah. Come on! <laughs> Fighting his own creed not to interfere. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, too, though, that he, he made a point to say, like, what, you, you're human, you all have hope. That's right. like your thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So is he trying to tell us something about what we're going to be seeing in the movie? It's like, all right, humanity has hope all the time. So maybe don't freak out. Right. Like, I'm sure we all did it at the end of, oh, crap. When did they all get dusted? Was it Endgame? Endgame, yep. Yeah. That was a whole year of us being very upset. Yes. So maybe he's trying to tell us, don't be upset. Yeah. Things are going to be it's good. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So Black Widow reveals rebooting Arnim Zola is her grand plan to defeat Ultron. But what if rejigs the Captain America villain's MCU backstory? Natasha describes Zola as a Hydra scientist who infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. And this tallies with Toby Jones' MCU character who was arrested at the end of Captain America only to confirm in Captain America the Winter Soldier that he was recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. and rebuilt Hydra in secret. As Natasha also explained, Zola uploaded his mind into a computer before dying in 1972, but was killed once and for all in Captain America the Winter Soldier when Cap and the Black Widow saw his digitized soul destroyed at Camp Lehigh. In main MCU continuity, this is where Zola's story ended. In this universe, however, another Zola program existed at the Siberian base where the 
Winter Soldier program was born under supervision of the Nazi scientist himself. This I don't see that being a much much of a stretch either. No, not at all. Like they could have totally just not known that happened that way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they fit all this stuff in a half-hour program. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it is. The Snowy Lab is a key location in Captain America's Civil War. Black Widow is shocked to discover Clint Barton's <laughs> middle name is actually Francis, with Hawkeye claiming to have inherited it from his grandmother. Though also his middle name in the Marvel comic books, an alternate Earth's Hawkeye and Mockingbird have a son called Francis Barton, who becomes a member of the next Avengers. Hmm. Hmm. While under the influence of Loki's scepter in the Avengers, Hawkeye shot an arrow with a USB device straight into Nick Fury's helicarrier, uploading a virus to shield servers and knocking out the ship's computer system. Clint carries a similar weapon in What If, which he uses to transfer Zola's consciousness in from a bulky 1970s rig into an Ultron drone. Receiving his mission objective from Hawkeye and Black Widow, uh, Zola quips, this won't be the first time. <laughs> Thinly veiled insult aimed at in the Red Skull's direction as though Zola remained loyal to Hydra until the Red, his beliefs didn't always line up with Johann Schmitz, especially near the end of Captain America. Zola's yeah, person. Yeah. Zola's personality is transferred into the Ultron drone, giving him a robotic physical body for the very first time in the MCU, at least. And I love that <laughs> they took his legs out, <laughs> so he wasn't going anywhere any anytime fast. Zolatron could be a nod to the Marvel comic books, where Zola exists as a robotic body with a screen in the stomach from which he communicates the same way as his MCU counterpart. That always made me laugh. Yes. So he looks kind of like that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle guy? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Running from the army of Ultron drones descending upon Hydra's Siberian base, Hawkeye performs his trademark jump-and-shoot pose, Seen first in The Avengers and more recently in the trailer for Clint Barton's Disney Plus solo series. The Archer then doubles down with a stylish turn and shoot when sacrificing himself so that Black Widow and Zolatron can escape. I was so upset here. Yes. Because I he's like, <clears throat> I told you I was tired and I don't want to go on. I'm like, you're literally leaving her when you know <laughs> that there's like hope right now. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> I was cussing Clint out right now. I'll tell Absolutely. you that. Absolutely. When it becomes clear that Hawkeye and Natasha can't both escape the pursuing androids, it's Clint Barton who confesses to being sick of fighting, nobly giving his life to take down the chasing drone. The manner in which Hawkeye goes down for Natasha and the way Natasha grabs his hand and implores him to reconsider is a direct flip of Black Widow's Boromir death in Endgame. Back then, it was Hawkeye grabbing Natasha's hand while she gently asked to be let go. I didn't yep. even realize that. Yep. That was great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, wow, that just didn't even dawn on me during the moment. Because all I kept thinking is, you are leaving her alone. Yes. <laughs> so, for the very first time, Jeffrey writes, Uatu, the Watcher, finally gets his hands dirty in, what if, episode 8, whilst clashing fists with Ultron, the, the cosmic voyeur demonstrates many powers he wields in Marvel's comic lore. Those include tenetically 
tossing Ultron through the universe, not sure that was a good idea, defending himself with the force fields and using cosmic energy as a weapon. A shocked watcher exclaims how Ultron's dimension-shattering power shouldn't be possible, to which the android replies in a shameless meta-fashion, oh, but anything is possible in the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, why not at this point? Yep. Not only does this line come with a knowing wink from what if writers, but this is pretty much exactly the way MCU fans have been saying whenever Spider-Man No Way Home or Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness comes up in the conversation. Yeah. Have they been saying that? <laughs> During this, oh yeah. During his debut in last week's installment, Ultron's distinctive helmet and vision's visage somewhat resembled another classic villain. Galactus. Yep. I was dying. I'm like, wait, did he just turn into Galactus now? Right. Where's the uh, the four? Let's get them in here. Episode eight confirms we weren't seeing anything during the Watcher versus Ultron fine. The latter suddenly grows into a planetary proportion and takes a big chomp out of a nearby galaxy. That was so cool. Yes, it was. <laughs> Not only does he look like Galactus than ever in this moment, but the comic villain is both super massive and has nicknamed the Devourer of Worlds. What if gives fans in the slice taste of MCU Galactus might look like? When Ultron sends Uatu crashing down to an alternate Earth, the assembled city crowd quickly whip out their smartphones to capture the moment. Of course they do. It looks like the, the regular crowd that we always see, too. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, among the onlookers, a man in a pineapple shirt, the very same pineapple shirt guy seen living up in Vegas during last week's What If Party Thor episode, a background character with uh, Christmas sense, fashion sense, isn't the only Marvel Easter egg in this episode of the New York scene on a giant Times Square screen. Steve Rogers is shown being sworn in as the newest president of the United States. Must have defeated Loki. <laughs> <laughs> this shocking Captain America career change partially derives from the Marvel comic books where Rogers was offered the White House gig, but he turned it down. In another universe, he clearly takes a different path. As Ultron battlers Watu across the multiverse, their New York surroundings suddenly splinter into Wakanda with the familiar Dora Milaje soldiers in the foreground. The fight moves then into a uh, medieval setting where the fractures into a Skrull spacecraft. I mean, they were going through everything. Yes. Everybody had, everybody had a cameo. The two do battle across various realities, and while the Watcher gives his best effort, <laughs> including his uh, underoo fighting suit, yeah. Infinity Stone-powered <laughs> Ultron proves too formidable a foe. Not any other option, uh, the Watcher travels to Doctor Strange's supreme prison and asks for uh, the help to defeat Ultron. Finally. Yeah. I was shocked that he ended up there. Yeah, I But was I'm still more shocked that... Yeah, I'm still more shocked that Ultron ended up finding his way because I love it because we've had like that creepy watcher talk like, but only if he does this, you know, just something random. Mm -hmm. And when we hear Ultron, who said that? It's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you have the look on his, yeah, uh -oh. his face. was like, Oh, shit. He heard me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that was just weird. And then when he ends up with Strange, like, I want to hear you say it. Ah, fine. <laughs> you know, like, I need your help. It, Damn it. It was just it the little comedic moments that they threw in there I thought was great. And yep. because this was it was dark and just it was big and I really think like all the things that happen as he's punching through the multiverse are going to have some effect with our next phase that we're gonna get. So it's very possible. I, I'm interested to see how this rolls out. And we only have one more episode? Yep. But no we know we have a season two already. Yes. That's like already confirmed. Yes. Now, what I thought was interesting with this ending scene was when we last saw Supreme Strange, he was just devastated. When we see him in this scene, 
he's not quite as yeah, he's normal guy, normal strange. It seems like it, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, regular. okay, well, now yeah. what could have changed him? Surely not being by himself all however long it's been. So it, yeah, has the watcher to. been paying him visits from time to time to see how he's doing? And everything's possible in the multiverse. Yes, it, it could be. A, <laughs> it could be billions of those Doctor Strange prisons. The way they've been treating it now. Oh yeah. So that was. But, but one yeah, thing he that, does allude to the how long he's been there. So right. I was assuming that it's like he's finally come to terms with everything. Yeah, I I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't really think that he could do that, but. I think if the Watcher had been visiting him from time to time while he was in there, then then I could see him being the way he was because it was, you know, it wasn't mean or mad. It was like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Glad to see you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess that would make sense with him knowing the Watcher then. Right. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I guess we'll see how this plays out. Maybe we'll get an answer, but maybe <laughs> we likely. won't because it's what yeah. if. Yep. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you're enjoying our podcast, and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. There's so many of them, and you can find us over at www.fangirlzone.com. Mostly, our contacts page makes it so easy to find a way to get a hold of us. Facebook, tweet, emails, all of it, because I know there's a lot of comic fans out there and a lot of you know more than i do with this so i want you to send us information questions thought everything to stump these two because they seem to know a lot and they have a lot of people that they tap into for comic book knowledge <laughs> stump the guys if you guys stump them i have i will send you something out of our prize box so i'm excited i'm ready for some stumping questions but for this episode of the Marvelous post Flip Podcast, I'm Steve. He will not be the first genocidal megalomaniac I've had to contend with, ja. <laughs> I'm Sean Fangirless, and puns aren't really my thing. <laughs> and this is Mischievous Day. You know, you guys know I'm a spear guy, but it looks like a little arrow could do the job, too. And I am Irish. <laughs>